Hey, Kenny. I heard you. All right, if you would grab your Bibles, and children, you are dismissed with Nate out of this door for Jumpstart. They're coming, Nate, I promise. Looking forward to it. Okay, if you would turn in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from verses 19 to 26, and if you are able, would you please stand as we show respect for God's Word as it's read. Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. May God bless and add his understanding to the reading of his holy word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let us pray together. Father, would you still our hearts and our minds from everything that whirs around us each moment of every day, that we may focus on the great truth of the gospel, that you are who you say you are, you do what you say you will do, and you promise to always be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, welcome everybody again to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. If you don't know me, I'm Richard Evans. I'm the assistant pastor of congregational care here at the church. And this week we continue our sermon series, Whole, where each week we take a dive into a different book of the Old Testament, one book per week. Uh, We started in Genesis, we're going all the way through to Malachi, and this week we land in Lamentations. Last week, for those of you who are here or have watched online, we literally had a message from Jeremiah. And uh, we're sticking with the prophet this morning because uh, this book, Lamentations, is a book of connected poems that uh, most agree was written by Jeremiah the prophet as reflections upon the state of the nation and the role of God in the lives of the people at the time. In these five chapters containing just 154 verses, the prophet shares the reality of what the people of God are experiencing and why they are experiencing it. He laments for them. He laments for himself, hence the title of the book, Lamentations. And so today's message is entitled, Let Us Lament. Let Us Lament. How many of you know what it is to lament? I'm going to ask you to uh, share an experiment with me this morning. If you've got something to write with or some device to type into, I'm going to encourage you to take the next few moments, I'm going to probably give you about 30 seconds or so, to write down some words 
or a definition of lament that comes to your mind. And then at the end of the message, I encourage you to look back at it and see if it's changed in any way or how it's been illuminated for you by looking at Lamentations together today. So I'm going to give you just about 30 seconds, as I say, to write down what you think of when you think of lament. As I say, it can be just a few words or a definition. And uh, take these few moments now. Okay, so I'm going to share with you my definition that honestly did take me more than 30 seconds to write, okay, this week. For me, my definition is to deeply identify with the pain and suffering, the situations and circumstances of our own lives and the lives of those around us, of the church, the country, the nation, and the world, and ultimately to learn the lessons and to point to the hope that is only found in God. The point is not to get lost in the depth of the problem, but to admit there is one and recognize it for what it is, to seek forgiveness where that is necessary, to point to the character and nature of God and to, pl- and to his plan and his purpose and to trust in him. For Jeremiah, it was clear that the sin of the people of Israel was the problem that had led to the consequences that they were about to face and were facing, as he wrote, Lamentations, so graphically described by the prophet that many describe Lamentations as a collection of funeral poems. I did for a moment consider just getting up here and crying for 20 minutes, but I figured it would get old after a while, but you would get the point. (laughs) But let's remember that this is set in a real world at a real time with real people, real circumstances and situations. And yet when you read the the, um, descriptions, it rivals any post-apocalyptic world that's described in a novel or in a movie today. There is real pain and suffering that the prophet is sharing And we recognize this not only as a description of the spiritual nature of that destruction that is going on and that difficulty that's going on, but it was real and happening in people's lives physically as well. Well, with all that said, it would be easy, wouldn't it, to just jump into chapter 3 and say, okay, let's forget about the rest of the book. Let's look at the positive. Let's look at the most well-known piece of Lamentations uh, where we get the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Did you enjoy singing that this morning? Oh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, after uh, this sermon, it'll have even more meaning as we look at the passage from where the hymn writer got the inspiration. But I struggled for a while. Should I actually choose this portion of Lamentations to share? Because there's so much else in the book that is relevant to our world today and be worthy of our time this morning. However, really and truly, it is the key uh, section to opening up the book 
to us. But I would encourage you to take the time in the Ephraim co-op this coming week as we will read each chapter uh, together of Lamentations. And for those of you who are still wondering, perhaps you're new or you still haven't jumped into the Ephraim co-op and wondering what it's all about, it's our daily curated Bible reading plan along with prayers and a song uh, that ties into the message of each week so that we can be close to each other and to God throughout the week. There's more information in our app, our website, and on the welcome table about that. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment Lamentations as a journey. It begins in chapter 1 with commentary on the destruction of Jerusalem, the city, and also to some degree to the people of God, to the community that they represented. In chapter 2, we're going to see God's anger and the search for comfort amidst all of the consequence of the people's sin. In chapter 3, we have reflections on the suffering from an individual's point of view, from Jeremiah's point of view, his personal point of view. In chapter 4, the history of the nation and its former glory and its present state. And then finally, in chapter 5, a prayer for God's mercy for all of the people. So corporately in chapter 5, you see what individually is happening in chapter 3. And ultimately, help can be found in the faithfulness of God. Then there is this progression from the consequences of sin that have been experienced through the realization that that is what is being experienced to the reliance on the faithfulness of God and then the unfaithfulness on our behalf through to the repentance that leads to restoration. Pretty much the gospel in a nutshell, wouldn't you say? We're sinners, we can't save ourselves. God can and does in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We accept the gift of salvation in Christ by repenting and believing in him, and God pays the price and restores us into a right relationship with him. Who says you have to get all the way to the New Testament to get to the gospel, right? <laughs> so how does lamenting play into all of this? And why does it need to be an important part of our daily lives as believers today? That's why I hope to share with you in just a few minutes this morning as we look through Lamentations together. Now, as some background, the book contains several acrostics. An acrostic is a poem or other composition in which the first letter or syllable or word of each line or paragraph or other recurring feature in the text spells out a word, message, or the entire alphabet. Okay, that's a bit of a mouthful of a definition. So here's an example that I found that you will have hopefully appreciate because it's very much me. <laughs> Cats, cuddly, arabat. They can do aerobatics. Um, tenacious, softly purring. Now, I don't want you to be thinking about cats all the morning, even though that's a beautiful thing, but it gives you the idea, okay? In chapters 1, 2, and 4, that have 22 verses each, and also chapter 5 that has 22 verses, but it doesn't follow the same pattern, but 1, 2, and 4 follow this pattern, because the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, and each... Uh, First word of each verse starts with a succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In chapter 3, there are 66 verses. So it's every third verse starts with the first letter of the Hebrew 
alphabet. So here are some more appropriate and connected uh, visuals for you that TJ found for me that have the Hebrew letters, as you can see, okay? And the note there, remember, Hebrew is read from right to left, if it wasn't confusing enough. And yes, the smart ones amongst you will have counted 27 letters. Five of them are variations on some of the others that you put at the end of a word rather than the beginning of a word, so there are 22, strictly speaking. Okay, all of that to say, that gives you the idea there of... Um, this structure, and it is a form of literature, is a form of poetry, um, but also I think it's very intentional that the writer used it because we're meant to lament from A to Z about everything, from beginning to end, everything in our lives we can lament about. Now, in many ways, I think lament is something as an art that has been lost in the Western church. Um, I first came across the idea of lamenting as a church body together when I was in Africa in 2004 in Zambia, and one of the church members was dying. And so the church, the whole church, not all together at once, but in groups, went and sat at the house, some inside, some outside, while the person was dying, to be with the family, to lament with them on the coming loss and how hard that was going to be, but also to proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ over death and the grave, and to stay with them for days afterwards as well. So often we're told, aren't we, that we have to be positive. We have to be strong. We have to have everything together in our lives, especially as Christians. And if we don't, then somehow we lack some faith, some trust in the Lord. I don't agree with that. <laughs> I'm not suggesting, of course that the opposite is true and that we have to be down and falling apart all of the time and downcast. But I am suggesting that we have to have a realistic attitude towards life, to admit what's really going on and to share the hardship as well as the joys in our lives. I think that's far more helpful and realistic. It's something that I've grown up with, I've been very familiar with in my own life. But I think we've been all experiencing it over recent times, perhaps more than any other times in any of our lives. If there was ever a time for lament, in the proper and true sense of the word, coming alongside people, saying, yes, this is hard, but there is a hope. There is a hope that is beyond any worldly solution or, or idea. Then this time is now. My mother had more than the average person's uh, health issues. Many of you know that. She had more to complain about than uh, the average person, and yet she didn't complain that often. And sometimes I would have to almost remind her to lament, to, to actually recognize her situation, because she would often say to me, well, there's people far worse off than me. And I would use this imperfect analogy, which I'm sure I've shared with some of you in the past as well. If you have a broken leg, and you say, well, Fred lost his leg, that doesn't negate the fact that you need help with your broken leg, right? Make sense? By admitting our own circumstances, seeing God at work in them, it allows you to see more clearly the great love and faithfulness of God alongside his holiness and his judgment. 
It's the purple where God's love and holiness meet. And if you're wondering why is Richard saying the word purple, go back again to Jeremiah and last week. There are two other ways that we need, uh, that we need to lament. And its modern-day application has been very clear to me in the last six months in these two areas. First has been in the area of the work I have as a hospice chaplain, where the most important, the most active thing that I can do is being able to just be a compassionate presence for people in the last days of their lives. And yes, being able to say things like, this is really hard. Excuse me, everyone, but sometimes I say, yeah, this sucks. And allow people to share honestly and openly their emotions, whether that be pretty or pretty ugly, while also being appointed to the comfort and the hope whenever and wherever possible. The second has been in the training of our Stephen ministers who will offer confidential, one-to-one, spiritual and emotional support to those who are in need, who are willing, for those who are willing to admit their need of somebody to come alongside them and to lament with them. Not to wallow in their situation, but to work through it, to be supported emotionally and spiritually. And I believe that this Christ-centered ministry is going to be vital in our church in the years to come. So please support the 16 uh, ministers who will be commissioned next week during our worship service uh, after following their last training session that is today. After six months of training weekly, we're looking forward to commissioning them next week. Amen. And by the way, they keep training twice a month for the next 18 months, so they're not off the hook by any stretch of the imagination. But they really are here to serve. But it's been brought to my mind that lamenting, it's part of that process, really coming alongside people. If you are somebody who would think you would benefit from a Stephen minister or you know somebody, come to me. Come directly to me, and we can keep this all that confidentiality in place and be ministering together. Okay, you're probably saying, is he ever going to get to the passage? Well, I am now, but I think it was important that we do all of that background and introduction. Okay, so how does our passage today really sum up this point and this direction and the importance of lamenting individually and lamenting together? Verses 19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So our first point is lamenting involves remembering our situation. Lamenting involves remembering our situation. And if anybody else is wondering what wormwood is, it's basically bitterness. It's that bad taste in your mouth, that bitterness that you feel and that you experience. But the prophet begins by admitting that life is not what it should or could be. That despite his obvious depth of faith in God and his relationship with him, God has called him, he has answered the call. God has given him the very words to speak to the people, and yet he is downcast. He is bowed down. His soul is continually bowed down within him. 
The troubles around him seem and indeed are out of his control. He's lamenting that which is genuinely hard and real in his life. Also, perhaps he's seen in his mind the failure of his mission. Although he was to be the prophet of woe and the prophet to announce the coming of God's judgment and the day of the Lord, I'm sure that he hoped that people would turn, that people would repent, that people would somehow survive. He had genuinely love for the people, felt their pain that they suffered as the consequence of their actions and indeed their non-actions for their lack of repentance. Quite the opposite of another prophet we can think about, one of my favorites, Jonah. Do you remember at the end of Jonah what he does? He laments. Why does he lament? He laments because the people did repent. He didn't actually want them to. He wanted judgment to come on them, but God chose to rescue them. Jeremiah here, as we say, is um, reflecting on his own affliction and bitterness that have led him here. What are those things in your life that you need to lament? Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. These are not to be thought of as in terms of wallowing and beating yourself up for things that you've done in the past, mistakes that you've made that you still hold on to, that you should have let go of. But what are the actions that you truly still need to repent of? In more than mere words, but in actions. The apologies that still need to be made, the unfinished business that needs to be done while it still can be. Again, something I come across every single day in hospice. Words that still need to be said, need to be written down. Conversations need to be had while people are still here and able to have them. Confessions even that need to be made and secrets that finally need to be given up. We can be rightly downcast by the actions and deeds that we've held on to rather than letting go of. The sins that have been hidden rather than having God shine his light upon them, his light of forgiveness. Remember, he doesn't bring this into the light in order to punish. He brings it into the light so that we can be forgiven, that we can seek his forgiveness through repentance. Truly, we need to be searching our own hearts and asking the Holy Spirit to do this as well. So if there's anything that needs to come to light, that it can do. And don't think this is an idea that Jeremiah dreamt up. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and is still with us today. It's part of our human condition. Now, with lamenting, we also need to remember that many of the Psalms are laments. How many of you have heard me say to you that it's okay every now and again to be angry with God and upset and confused, right? Because David is. When he writes those psalms, and he's like, God, what are you playing at? That's a modern translation by Richard, by the way. Uh, <laughs> What's going on, God? I don't understand what you're doing. Why are you doing this to me? But he always comes back around, doesn't he? But I'll trust you. I'll trust you. But he laments. Because he's restoring our relationship with him. Laments and psalms, and believe it or not, Lamentations was written to be used in worship. He was actually prayed in the service 
Uh, it gives us prayers and petitions for confession and forgiveness and realizing who God is and his faithfulness. And that's true with Psalms as well. All of which finds its full and perfect expression in the work of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ cried from the cross, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He's lamenting. He's about to experience the separation from God that he has never experienced because now he is being separated because he is becoming our sin. The separation that we have because of our sin was put upon him so that we could be in a right relationship once more with God. Lamenting is something we can do on our own, but it's also something we can do as a body. We can do it with others and for others, for past wrongs, and seek forgiveness together. A few months ago, we thought about this when we were in 2 Kings. Do you remember back as far as 2 Kings, anyone? Seems a long time ago. (laughs) We looked at uh, the book of the law being found after many, many years. Hilkiah finds it, takes it to King Josiah. What does King Josiah do? He, don't worry, I'm not going to tear my clothes. Um, He tears his clothes. He laments. He laments on behalf of the nation for having forgotten about God having chosen to walk away from God and not follow him. And then he goes on, as we read, that he changed things. He reformed worship. He got rid of idols. But it didn't mean that the consequences went away. The earthly consequences remained. After all, God is holy and he's loving. So his discipline is constructive and it's also instructive. As we move on, we'll see this more clearly. Okay, verses 21 to 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So our second point, lamenting recalls God's faithfulness. Lamenting recalls God's faithfulness. As we reach these verses, I hope, like me, they brought new and fresh meaning to singing, great is thy faithfulness this morning. God's character will never change. He's the same from Genesis to Revelation. And I know for many of us that's a struggle, to equate the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. A friend of mine in Wales famously once said to me, You know, reading the Old Testament, Richard, is like walking through thick treacle or molasses, as I think you call it, here. Can you imagine that feeling? That's how she felt about the Old Testament because she couldn't equate the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament. And I hope through this whole sermon series that you found God is good all the time, all the time God is, and that Jesus is actually written on every page. And that is the hope that we call to mind, even in an attitude of lament amid the darkness and the hardest of times. Not only do we think of the difficulties that we have experienced in this life, but we also remember how God has been with us through them. It's almost as if Jeremiah has got to this point and he suddenly hit upon, oh, hang on a minute, I've been concentrating on the problem, not the solution. We admit the depth of the issue, 
and the problem, but we also focus on the solution, which for us is Jesus Christ. Things always seem darkest before the dawn. How many of you have heard that phrase before? It's an old one, but a good one. Some say it's a cliche, but you know why a cliche is a cliche? Because nine times out of ten, it's true, right? I would actually suggest that it's a rhythm that God has put into our lives as well. As the sun rises, it gives us a new day, a new hope, new vision, new clarity on a situation and circumstance. And not only is that, that problem very often hasn't actually gone away, but we see it more clearly and we see him more clearly. And we should commit to him afresh and anew each morning. Another person who I was familiar with in Wales, um, who was a little bit of a character to say the least, and there were occasions where myself and others had to go to this person and seek their forgiveness, and this person had to come to us and ask for our forgiveness over things. But she had a wonderful rhythm in her life. Her rhythm was every morning when she woke up, the first thing she did was thank God for another day to spend with him until she spent her time in heaven with him. How do you thank God each day for his faithfulness towards you? I recently spoke to a woman who's dying. In my job, that's pretty much day-to-day as as a hospice chaplain, not so much perhaps at the church. And she's 75. And in a conversation that lasted 10 or 15 minutes, she said her life had been blessed in so many ways over those 75 years. She must have said it half a dozen times. That's the most important thing to her right now. Now, for some of you, 75 is like a lifetime away, if not two lifetimes away, right? And you think, will I even get to 75? For others of you, it's becoming more and more of a memory. But regardless of our physical age, regardless of where we are in life's journey, what a great attitude to have that every day is a blessing from God and his faithfulness. Okay, let's carry on and wrap up here uh, in, our, in our passage. Verses 24 to 26. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So our third point, by the way, points four and five got dropped before this morning. If, you, if anybody can tell you me what they were, I'll take them out to coffee, and TJ and Abel are not allowed to tell you what they are because they've got the script, okay? Point three is n- lamenting needs us to wait and seek the Lord. Lamenting needs, to wait, needs us to wait and seek the Lord. I couldn't help but think of the co-op song this week. How many of you saw, listened to the co-op song this week? Okay, there's at least three U2 fans in the place, right? It was, it was 40 by U2, which is, uh, they wrote based on Psalm 40. And they quote Psalm 40, and the opening words are, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pits, out of the miry clay. I couldn't resist but play that this morning before I came to church. It's one of my favorite uh, U2 songs. We certainly heard of Jeremiah in the pit last week. And he's not the only one. Physically and metaphorically, uh, in the Bible or in our lives, we have Jonah in a big fish. We have Joseph in a pit. We have David in a cave, to name but a few. But the common feature is they all turn to the Lord for their help, to lift them up out of that circumstances, for his deliverance. 
And often we try and get ourselves out of these circumstances and situations, don't we, without God's help. And while we appear to be making headway, I would suggest we never ever leave the pits of our lives unless we allow him to be in charge of the rescue. And again, this is something that's so key to lamenting, both as individuals and as a body together, to wait patiently for him to do his work. And oftentimes we become impatient. We try and second-guess him. We try and jump ahead and try and make things happen before their time. Now, it doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing. We can be actively waiting upon the Lord, God does put us in positions where we are to be his hands and his feet, even his mouthpiece on occasion. However, today he's already given us the words to speak. Nothing we will ever say will come on a level of scripture, but we can certainly point to the truth of the gospel. How many people do you know in your life? If you, just think of one. Think of one person in your life that doesn't know the Lord. Or somebody, if you can't think of somebody who isn't a believer, think of somebody who's de-churched, who's had a bad experience, has never gone back. I would suggest that lamenting with people is actually an incredible evangelistic tool. To listen to, to empathize with the experience of somebody else, what they're going through. Not judging, but simply allowing space for them to express in their own words, their emotions, their feelings, what they're going through. It can be so powerful, and you know what? It can powerfully open the door to Jesus Christ. If you share who he is to you, who knows what he will mean to them. And they may be far more ready to hear what you have to say, what you have to share, if you've listened to them first. I'm therefore reminded of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, in, uh, in 55, uh, chapter 55, verses 6 to 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The great truth, the great joy, is that while we meet God in a very special way, in worship, on a Sunday morning, together, fellowship with one another in the truest sense, that's true. But also I experience that Jesus is in every home that I go into, every bedside that I sit at, every family I visit, whether they profess faith or not. He's at work. He's reaching out in so many ways. And often the the way to open that conversation, to include him actively and openly, is to start from a position of lament with the person who's in need. On many occasions, all you do is sit and wait, quietly, in both body and and in words, to allow the world and its distractions to pass away and simply seek the Lord. For our desire in lamenting must be for the unrighteous, and all that means is those without a relationship with Christ, 
We're only righteous because we have a relationship with Christ. It's not because of anything we've done or do or will do. But our hope, our desire must be for those who do not currently have a relationship with Jesus Christ to have one. That God would have compassion on them and abundantly pardon. If you're a Christian, you know that you've been pardoned. You've been forgiven. You've been made right with God. As I say, not because of what you've done or will do, but because of what Christ did on the cross. And if that's true in your life, then you must want it for those around you. If you're not yet a Christian, know that the price has been paid for you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and perhaps today is the day to stop waiting and to respond to him. Christians, lament that those you know that don't accept the Lord... Lament that fact. Lament that they don't accept the Lord. Make sure it's on the top of your prayer list, your witness opportunity. Pray that they will hear and call and respond to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Yes, bring them to church. Bring them to the experience that we have of fellowship, of community. But don't just bring them to that. Point them to Christ. And while we wait, we do not have to be idle or inactive but we do have to be patient, for it is the Lord's work. Now, as I say, originally I had two more points. I'm not going to share them with you this morning. Time has beaten us. So, take a moment if you wrote down something, whether you do it now or you do it after the service, and see if your idea of lament has changed or been informed in any way, and how you might be more purposeful at lamenting in the week that lies ahead as we remember our situation, recall God's faithfulness, and seek the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done, you are doing, and promise that you will do. As you open our hearts to lament for others, to seek the good of the people, we pray that you will know more clearly our hearts,